Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning. We do have a special gift this morning or special time this morning. Take that big step right there. Um, And I'm coming up here because it is so special that uh, we have 11 children. They're going to be dedicated this morning during first service. Uh, I don't know what the swing is or why the swing took place as far as having everybody during first. I think part of it's because people want to be on the recording for family that couldn't be here. But also, I think part of it too is kind of the way that kids are. Sometimes their schedule affords better now than waiting till mid to late uh, morning. So that being said, if you are one of the families who are dedicating a child or children, I'm going to ask you to come on up. Come up on this side, oh, as far away from the fire as you can, and we'll have you line up. Uh, along this, the platform over here. So I'll have you come up on the other side over there. I know that I told some of you in the lobby this side, and it kind of was a curveball, I think, uh, that I was trying to see if you could adapt, which with children you have to, right? So, so we're good there. some of the families with multiple children. I ask them to line up age-wise so I get everybody right. And I can see them already. I'm first. I'm the first one that's going to be dedicated. I love it. We have enough space. We can come down some more if you'd like. Yep, come on down. Get everybody in. Actually, I can move that too. It's a good-looking group. Amen? Well, I'm going to read for a moment and then uh, share a, a verse this morning or a couple verses this morning uh, from, from Christ's, um, his, his, a quote from, from Mark, Mark's gospel of Christ's words uh, regarding children and his desire and his heart for um, bringing the lost but also bringing children before the King of Kings. It says, Dear friends, you have brought these children, your children, whom God has given you to be dedicated to God and to his service. By this act... You, by this act, you testify to your faith in the Christian religion and also your desire that your children shall receive the benefit of consecration of God and of the prayers of the church and may clearly learn to know and follow the will of God and therefore may live a Christian life. In order for this to happen, it will be your duty as parents to teach your children early the fear of the Lord to watch over their education that they may not be led astray by false teaching or doctrine, to direct their minds to the Holy Scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all people, and to direct their feet to the sanctuary to restrain them from evil associates and habits, and as much as you are able to bring them in the Lord's discipline and instruction. And so I have this question for parents up here. Will you endeavor to do this by the Lord's help? If so, answer. I do. It also says we do here, so if you wanted to say it together, you could. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. 
When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and he blessed them. At this time, I'm going to go through and I'm going to uh, take a moment to dedicate each child. Uh, Pastor Ray and Pastor Mary are on the end there. They've got a gift, and I just want to express what these things are. We've got three things today. One, we have a certificate to commemorate the day for each child. Uh, This is a certificate that you can have to remember this moment. The second thing is probably the best gift that we can give any family, any child. It's the Word of God. And it's possible that many of you already have a Bible. Even your, child, your children might have a Bible. But we are hope that this would be something that you could read. That's something you could learn from. It could be an opportunity for you to share God's love and God's words to your children. And the third thing is part of a, uh, a gift from a new ministry here at our church. Uh, many of you have heard about the Prayer Shaw ministry. Uh, our Prayer Shaw team has worked tirelessly to get all 11 of these done, and they've made a prayer shawl for each child, uh, and so the bag holds those for each child to have. They've been prayed over, your child has been prayed over, and it's been an opportunity for them to be able to take part in blessing your children and blessing our church in this as well. Well, there's one more thing I want to do before I engage in this dedication time, and that is to ask a question of you, the church. I've asked the question of each family, would they bring their children before the Lord and bring an opportunity for them in all aspects to glorify God and to learn from God. But it is not something that's done just in the home. It's something that's done with the village. And so the question that I have is the same as I've asked of these parents. Will you, Christ Community Wesleyan Church, come alongside these families to help raise their children in a way that honors God, that glorifies him in all things? If so, answer, we do. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to come through now. I'll say your names, and we're going to try to put them on the screen behind. I think we've got a slide for each one. This is the Schultes family, and they're bringing four awesome boys this week. Uh, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, Amber was, uh, was baptized right here, and she was so adamant that her children would be up here seeing the decision that she made to follow Christ. And it is not something that's just a, a one-time decision and move on from there, but this is a desire that they have in their home to glorify God and to move forward in that. Instead of trying to sort those out, we'll just hand them off and go, yeah, there you go. Very good. Thank you. I prefer the other Vanna White, but you're doing a great job, too. (laughs) All right. You're first, right? The oldest? So you're Cash. All right. Cash James David. On behalf of God and his Holy Spirit and his Savior, I dedicate you to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Rhett, Andrew Ray, I dedicate you on behalf of your parents in this church in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ridge Denver Hurst, yes? On behalf of your parents in this church, Christ Community Wesleyan, I dedicate you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You ready for your turn? Can I hold you? Yeah? Is that cool? I've held a couple kids. You're 
you're in decent hands, right? You ready? Yeah? And you're Colt Baker Weekly? Yeah? I dedicate you on behalf of your parents in this church in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I got a little grin right at the end. This is the Bauman family. This is their precious young man. This is Walter. Let me get the middle name. Scott Bauman. Think you'll let me hold him? And I, I see that the, I recognize the, uh, the binky here. The chain <laughs> is a Packers chain. And they are creeping right now. If you are an NFL fan, they're creeping right now. They're knocking on the door. But you guys are teaching him right, I guess. You guys are from uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin, so a little bit of both. Boy, he's handsome. And he's good. Man, what a good kid. Walter Scott Bauman, I dedicate you on behalf of your parents, on behalf of Christ Community Wesleyan Church. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I only got one hand to hand off. Oh, oh there we go. We ready? Yeah? Can I hold you? No? That's okay. You can stay there. So who's Bo and who's River? Bo. Bo. You want to go first? You're big brother. How old are you? Four. Four, but I hear you got a day coming up, a special day. Yeah. It's your birthday next week? Yeah. yeah? You better remember that, right? How old are you going to be next week? Comes after four. Five. Five. Nice. High five. All right. Are we ready? This is Bo Thomas. Yeah. Bo Thomas Pinson, on behalf of your parents, Christ Community Wesleyan Church, I dedicate you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go up here with your brother, okay? That sound good? Yeah. River, you ready? Yes, no, maybe? How about I just, how about I just do this? Is that okay? He doesn't know what to think. Yeah, if I don't look at him, he's not here, right? River Ryan Pinson, on behalf of your parents and Christ Community Wesleyan Church, I dedicate you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yes, that is yours. That is yours. All right, we practiced a couple times, and each time we didn't do well. You want to come to me? All right. I'm just scary. I need to, I need to shave my beard and maybe, no, clown paint wouldn't work. I shouldn't do that. No, we're good. This is the Bond family. Yep, this is the Bond family. And uh, Gabriel Elise, yes. She's not even going to give me another look. She's like, I don't want to go to you. Oh, she's beautiful. I love her eyes. Well, Gabriel Elise Bond, on behalf of your parents and on behalf of Christ Community Wesleyan Church, I dedicate you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, she's a blessing. We have the ghost family here. He's ready. Hand him off. I just got my coat dry cleaned from the last time I held him, so we're, we're doing okay. Doing okay. The ghost family here with Elijah Brady. Elijah, you doing okay, bud? We've done this a couple times, haven't we? 
You're a good boy. Yeah, yes you are. Hello. You want to see everybody else here? Will you hold that for me? I'm going to turn him around. Here's everybody else. This is what everybody else looks like. There's the rest of your family. How about that? Is that fun? Let's do it. Elijah Brady Ghost, on behalf of your parents and Christ Community Wesleyan Church, I dedicate you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we have the Denhart family. Oh, we're going to get a turn this time. Yes? Dun, 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 dun. Yay! We did it. We made it. She doesn't know what to think either. <laughs> we'll start right here. Uh, lost my place here. Sylvia Edith Denhart, on behalf of your parents, on behalf of Christ Community Wesleyan Church, I dedicate you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We've got another Walter. You want to come too? Yeah? All right. Big guy. Man, look at you. You're a good big brother, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Walter Gregory Denhart, on behalf of your parents, on behalf of Christ Community Wesleyan Church, I dedicate you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen, buddy. Go back to Daddy. All righty. I hesitate, or I, I um, intended to have family stand up, so I'm just going to ask now if you are here as family representing or supporting any of these families or these children that are up here today, grandmas, grandpas, aunts and uncles, cousins, any other siblings, I'm just going to ask you to stand now so that we could recognize you as well. We're so grateful that you were able to come here today and be part of this moment. We also understand that there are several that are joining online as well that weren't able to be here today, and we're so blessed to have you uh, be part of our service as well. well I'm going to take a moment now to pray over these families, over these children. I'm going to encourage you to do the same if you wouldn't mind. Maybe even reach out an arm right now, but we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for the reality that you've created us to live in family, and not just within the context of, of a family with, with mother and father, but the family of God, the church. And so, God, in this moment, we together ask for you to lead and to guide. We ask for your blessing over each child, over each mother, each father, brothers and sisters, whoever it might be. God, we pray that you would continue to bring your blessing, your goodness. God, I pray in, in the heart of, of the passage that we read earlier that you would bring each child to yourself, that none would be expelled or rejected, none would feel that your gospel is not for them or that they've gone too far, that it's, it's not something that they could even hold to, Father, but instead that your grace and your peace would bring hope and would bring love to their hearts and their lives. God, I pray for each child here to experience your goodness, your faith, God, I pray that even in this season, as we embrace the opportunity to, to, to recognize the coming of the, the arrival of the king in this world, God, this would be maybe for, the, for them the first time that they could experience this as well. God, may you bless, may you keep, may you comfort, may you be in each home, in each conversation, in each prayer, and may your word, your desire, your relationship, your heart, may it proclaim all in their lives, in their spirits. In your son's name that we pray, and all of us said together, amen, amen. Can we show our appreciation? Can we show our love and our affection to each one?
You guys are welcome to hang out up here, but I'm going to preach. Once again, I want to thank the Prayer Shawl Ministry for all their work. I just, the, the numbers just kept growing. I kept telling them, oh, we've got six. Oh, we have eight. Oh, we have, oh, we have 11. And they thought, all right, well, we'll get it done. And so they certainly did. Well, I cannot think of a better lead-in to talk about the birth of Jesus than an opportunity to recognize his goodness through those children that God has entrusted to us. Certainly this morning, you know, you may have seen families up here, maybe didn't even know any of them uh, as we embrace this time together, uh, but God has created us, called us to live in community together within the context of his church. And so in that, we all have the opportunity in some way, whether it's to support in some tangible physical way or maybe to support through the, the tangible means that God gives us of prayer. And so one thing I will say is even here today, if you didn't know any of the couples or any of the families or any of the children that are up here, would you take a moment this week, maybe even this afternoon, and just commit an opportunity to pray for each one of them, just to pray for the families that were here by name if you know them or just uh, by, by face as well the opportunity to pray for them as, uh, as they step forward, as those children grow and as they move forward. Today marks the second week of, of Advent, the second Sunday of Advent, the posture of things made right, so to speak, the, the starting, the, the, the beginning of things being made right in the context of the world that has fallen, that is broken, the world that is waiting for the Messiah. This is the week we talk about peace, as the ladies had already talked about and, and read about this preparation within the context of Advent. The dictionary defines peace as freedom from disturbance or tranquility, a state or period in which there is no war or that war has ended. Biblical peace takes it a step further, is defined as peace as the absence of war of chaos, peace as the right relationship with God and with Christ, Peace as a good relationship among people. Peace as an individual virtue or state that is tranquility, serenity, or just being still in the presence of a holy God. The other name for today's candle, the peace candle, is the Bethlehem candle. And the reason those things go together is because Bethlehem is the location for which Jesus was born. And Mary and Joseph traveled to bring the gift, the only gift of real and lasting eternal peace into this world. The Bethlehem candle signifies the journey to Bethlehem. The Bethlehem candle symbolizes the peace that Christ brings to the world and at the same time recognizes Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
And so here we recognize that this candle also represents, this week also represents the fulfillment of Scripture, the fulfillment of God's goodness through the person of Jesus as we experience inner peace through relationship with Him. We're going to start this, uh, this, the context of this message with a quiz. And so if you have your bulletin with you on the back, you'll notice nativity quiz. There's some lines there. This is going to kind of be a fun quiz, and so some of the answers you might have. But in essence, what we're going to attempt to try to do today is we're going to walk through specifically the context of what happened in this journey and what happened at the conclusion of the journey and historically what took place as far as how Christ brought forth the fruition and the fulfillment of the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. And so the first question is this, why did Joseph and Mary visit Joseph's hometown? Why did Joseph and Mary have to make the journey? Why did they go visit Joseph's hometown? Was it the obligatory go and visit parents around Christmas, which didn't technically exist yet? Was it an opportunity to, to go once a year and, and experience it? Why did they go to this specific place? Why did they go to Joseph's hometown? Well, just write it on your thing. Don't, uh, don't scrap, shout it out. Some people around you are going to get that right too. We're helping each other, I guess. The second one is, how long was Joseph and Mary's journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem? How long did the journey take? Was it a matter of just jumping in the car and driving? Was it a, a jet? Was it walking? Was it on the donkey? How long did this journey take? I know they're difficult, so number three is actually a true or false, okay? It makes it a lot easier. A lot less writing if you don't want to write a lot today. Number three, the innkeeper did not have a room but provided a place for Mary to give birth to Jesus. True or false? The innkeeper didn't have room. There wasn't a room left in the hotel or the inn, and so he or she uh, provided a place for Mary to give birth to Jesus. And finally, on the fourth line there, the last question, where was Jesus born? Not the hometown, but what location? You can even paint a little picture there, some describing words. What was the location for which Jesus was brought into the world? What did that specifically look like? All right. Here's the catch on that. I'm not going to give you the answers right now. You've got to listen to the sermon, okay? Are we ready? Now, I will point out when the answers come, uh, for when Scripture gives us some response in that, but I'm not going to give you the answers now. We're going to walk through the sermon, and that's where they're going to come from. So I ask these questions because I want us to dig a little bit deeper on the historical dive, take a historical dive a little bit deeper on this journey to Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus. Because there's more to understand there than just reading over the nativity story, kind of getting to the end of it, and then opening presents on, on Christmas morning. There's more to it than just saying, okay, here are the, the things that took place. There's, there's some very important things to note to understand about Christ and some implications on how we are to live as a result of him entering the world. We're going to focus today specifically on Luke's gospel once again, as we did last week. This time, chapter 2, verse 1, starting in verse 1 through verse 7. And it reads like this, and you may get some answers as we go. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Cornelius was, was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Bethlehem to Judea, to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David, 
He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And you might have already picked up on some of the answers to that quiz, but let's kind of walk through and respond and reflect upon some of the things that were noted here. This is usually just the kind of the flyover passage, kind of setting up the tone for where Jesus was, what specific place Joseph and Mary decided to go to, and, and then we kind of put together the nativity set around that, uh, typically with the animals and the little barn and, and the open-air barn that, that we normally would see. But there's some great insight here. We're going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to reread it. It said, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. You see, the journey of Bethlehem took place, and Paul relates this specifically to the fact that there was a governmental decree. It wasn't God saying, here's where I want everybody to go. Instead, in this case, the, the, the prophecy was fulfilled as a result of the action of the government that was around them. In fact, the Greek audience that, that Luke was writing to would have really appreciated this. They would have been interested in this understanding because it gives credence to the actual event. It helps us to recognize through the, 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 the philosophy of apologetics, which means the philosophy of explaining through means outside of Scripture the, the relevance and the authority of Scripture. And here the Greek audience would have read this just as we would and say, okay, because we know that census took place and this had to happen, we know that Joseph and Mary would have gone to this place. And it would have been indicated to us the need for this journey and the reality of this journey. There was something to note specifically for those that were Jewish. They didn't have to, to specifically serve in the military, but they were counted because they also had to pay taxes. They were still following what the government would require. And the, and the answer to quiz question number one is Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem upon governmental decree. They went there because the government required for them to go. But it's also interesting to note some of the things that we might understand about the person who made this decree, Caesar Augustus. First, we recognize that he is the one that established the first and greatest Roman Empire. He brought everything together. Before that, there was a, 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 a republic and the Republic Empire. They formed this government together. And at that point, they expanded the government and established what they called Pax Romana, which translated means Roman peace. And see, this government was attempting at that time to establish peace in their midst through a mere human being, through someone who was created, a created being, and also in that ushered in this enlightenment of sorts of all the different things that Rome would understand through literature and architecture and all the enlightenment that would come from this specific understanding. It's also important to note that Augustus means exalted. It means exalted, the one on high, the, the supreme person who engages, who decides, who's in, in, in involved in, 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 in all ways, makes all the decisions. And so here we recognize that this decree that was brought about by the government, by this individual that was seen as the premier king, the premier being, was to bring peace to all things through the things, the decisions made, specifically in this case through this decree, and God uses that by what he typically would do, flipping reality on its head and allowing us to experience something far different. A humble beginning of the one who would bring peace. And the implication for us as believers is this. Holy peace is in opposition to the ways of the world. 
Oftentimes, God uses the ways of the world. He uses the embrace of things that take place around us to bring forth his goodness because he works best and oftentimes in the midst of the darkness. The light shines brightest in the midst of the darkness. And the call here for all readers is that if you're looking for peace in the world, you will be disappointed. You will find chaos. You will find distress. Perhaps you've already found chaos and distress. It's December 10th. We're knocking on the door for those that begin to panic when it comes to all the, the shopping and the decorating and all those kinds of things. If you don't have your tree up by now, who knows? Maybe it won't happen, right? But the reality is this, the commercialization of Christmas brings chaos, brings distress. And on the other end, the, the it must be right understanding nativity also brings chaos and distress. And these two far extremes, the person on either side recognizes the fact that in all that we do, in all that we embrace in the midst of this season that is supposed to bring peace, that's supposed to bring a time of being still with God has been robbed by the commercialization or the let's make sure we get it right mentality. At the same time, there's a recognition that in this life, that, that uh, just as Joe had said earlier, that this isn't the, the best time of year for everybody. Sometimes this is a, a reminder of, of the brokenness of a family or the loss of a loved one. Sometimes the Christmas season is a time where you have to, to work or you're deployed and you don't get to be with your family, your friends. And so it can be a time of struggle and a reminder of the fact that we don't live in a peaceful world. But there again, in the midst of what the world means for distress and discouragement and despair, God once again flips and uses for his goodness. The passage goes on to reveal Joseph and Mary's obedience to this decree. Verse 3 through 5, it says, and, anyone, and everyone went to their own town to register. So everybody was going along with the decree that was brought. It says, so Joseph also went up from the town to Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So they followed along. They did what they were supposed to. The government forced Joseph and his new fiancé to take this long trip. And when they arrived at their destination, there was nowhere for them to stay. The implication here specifically, it, it, it may be fairly clear, God calls us to do things. He calls us to, even in this, to honor the government, the, the decree that's been placed before us, but it doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy. In fact, it doesn't mean that in our lives that everything is going to go the way that we would hope it would go. Sometimes there will be discomfort. Can I tell you, for the parents who just came up here, when you were dedicating your children, today you may have a lovable baby in your arms, but there will be days of discomfort. I don't wish those on you. No one does, but we recognize that takes place within the context of life. But I can tell you this, even in those moments of discomfort, that God promises peace and his presence in the storm. God promises peace because of his presence in the storm. And so when you walk through a difficult time or a season of discouragement or a season of despair or maybe even this season with the motive of, of the commercialization or the just get it right nativity, wherever you might find yourself, recognize that God is present and he is bringing peace within that context. Verse 4 brings about a couple of things. First one is this, that God controls all history. By this decree, Jesus was born, and the very uh, nature of that, he prophesied the birth would take place in this specific location, and his parents, they, they didn't even live there. They had to actually go for the actual birth. 
At the same time, Joseph and Mary were both descendants of David, an Old Testament that uh, was filled with the prophecy that the Messiah would come from David's royal line. And there's a recognition there of God's goodness and, and his, uh, his provision in that as well. If you look historically, and you look, even if you were to look at it at a map now, it would take at least three, uh, sometimes up to eight days to make this journey uh, from the, the, the location for which um, Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem. And if you're answering the question from the initial quiz, four, anywhere from three, four, five to eight days, that's, that's sufficient. You can still have, at this point, you've got a perfect one. But it's 70 to 90 miles, depending upon the route, the weather, and the terrain. And they took this specific journey, recognizing the fact that they had to go. This was the law. This is what was placed before them. But they also did so, recognizing that they were with child. And so most believe that in this specific case, that they didn't do so when Mary was eight and a half to eight and three quarters uh, months pregnant. Instead, it was understood that it was probably recognized that she was only in her first trimester, very early within that time. They lived specifically in this place for a while, and that recognizes something or helps us to recognize something very important, very tangible about this. The reality of this is when the king is present, humanity is faced with the reality of our sin problem. And that core goes deeply within the context of the moment of conflict regarding peace in this moment. For they had gone to this place where they hoped everything would be good, They'd gone to this peace where they hoped that there would be no conflict. They'd gone to this place where they hoped there would be a room, a space, a place for them to stay. It's interesting that it's no different than when Jesus entered the world as a human, that when we come to the presence of God, he exposes us to conflict and sin and shame and darkness and the different things in our life. And even in that, that being exposed to that, we recognize the, the difference between the world and God. We recognize the difference between our position in the world and the position that God calls us to. That moment of, of, of conflict regarding peace brings forth a new thought, a new understanding I can say it right now, and probably you can maybe respond to this, and, and I'm not asking you to do so verbally, but think about it for a moment. Are you at peace right now? Are you in a, in a, in a season, in a position, in a posture, do you feel peace with God and with others right now? If not, the question is, how do you get through that? Do you self-medicate? Do you allow the, the, the sin just to fester? Do you embrace this as, as a context where you say, God, at some point I'll reconcile with you. Where do we go from here? And oftentimes in this time of year where everything is wonderful, we recognize the, the things in our lives that maybe in, in many cases drive us away from or separate us from the peace that God wants us to experience. And sometimes those things happen to us. We are born into a, a fallen and broken world. Sometimes they're a consequence of where we're at. But can I tell you, Christmas is a time, is an, is an awesome time for us to, to talk to family, to, to engage in those things that maybe a long time ago separated us. It's a great time for forgiveness. It's an awesome time to be able to dig deeply in what God might want to do, might want to embrace within the context of our lives. Christmas is a time for healing. Christmas is a time for reflection. Christmas is a time for peace. As the narrative unfolds in, in verses 6 and 7 specifically, we find some closure in these final two verses, but we also recognize the source of two nativity fables, or two nativity things that we assume to be true, or maybe we think to be true because we see them, but they're not actually uh, within the context of Scripture. 
Verses 6 and 7 read like this. While they were, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, which would indicate that they had been there for some time. We don't know how long that time is. And she gave birth to her first son, to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, I didn't realize until I was an adult that a manger is actually just a farm tool. It's just a, a trough that's used. I always thought a manger was some holy type of crib from the first century that we don't really use anymore because they, 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 you know, they're not the, 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 the prettiest things. I, I actually remember two years ago buying a manger. Uh, I had to buy one. I went to the store to buy one, and I thought, this is, this is a manger, huh? This is, this is what they put Jesus in. And I'm sure it was much different. This was made of metal, not uh, what, what Jesus was in. But I thought to myself, this is, it seems bizarre. Now, I did find some comfort in it because I bought the manger on Christmas Eve, and I felt very holy about that. But what I will say is the manger in and of itself brings a picture of where Jesus was born that is not necessarily accurate within the context of where they were. First, I'll say this about the bands of cloth, which there's some symbolism there to uh, the death shroud that, that Jesus would wear in the tomb uh, 33 years later, and, and I'll let uh, Pastor Ray talk about that next week. But the reality is that the, the cloth was used as a warm security blanket, so to speak, for, for Jesus. The mention of the manger gives us traditional belief that Jesus was born in a stable. And perhaps you've heard before that stables weren't necessarily like that open-air thing that we see with, uh, with Mary and Joseph, both there very uh, calmly looking over their child while he lies in a manger, which if you've ever had a child before, that's probably not as accurate as they might have depicted at that point as well. But what I will say is most of the time you've probably heard or you may have heard that, that the, the stable is actually a cave. And that cave was, was carved out of rock, and so that would have been where Jesus was actually born. Let me just say that was typical for the time, but specifically in this case, because of the recognition of the manger and the recognition of the fact that they were revisiting or going back to their own home or going back to Joseph's home, there's something very important to note about the original text. It says, while they were there, they had probably been there for a while, and there's this recognition of the inn. And this is where, uh, probably because there was no room, this is where this comes from. But the word there, kataluma, actually doesn't mean hotel or inn. It actually means guest room. And so the reality of what most historians actually believe is there wasn't, a get, there wasn't an innkeeper who said, sorry, there's no room at the inn, although that's always a cute thing in the little play, right? The, the child comes out, there's no room, and then the, the Mary and Joseph dejected, they go find a place to hang out with the cows. That's not how it actually goes. Instead, the recognition would have been this. Because it was Joseph's hometown, they would have stayed with Joseph's family who was still in the area. And the way that things were specifically set up in that time is as they would get there and they were all coming together, that all of Joseph's family was coming at the same time. And so this house would have been fairly crowded. There would have been a lot of people staying there. At the same time, because of the reality that Mary and Joseph were, were traveling with a little bit of shame and the family would have viewed it as shame because they were unwed and Mary was pregnant or with child at the time, they wouldn't have gotten the best room. They would have been staying in a place in the lower quarters where typically the animals would stay. So what's that say about the nativity set? Let's paint a picture real quick. If I, I think I have two images. If we can put them up. we put up the first one. Have there been slides up this whole time? I've just been talking. Oh, there we go. All right. So, so here's, here's the, the typical nativity we see. There's Mary and Joseph. Look, man, Jesus is already sitting up. He was the Messiah <laughs> in that one. 
all the food is sitting around and those animals are not getting into it. That's not accurate. I just, uh, I love the depiction. I think it's a very nice picture. I don't know that it's the most accurate. Instead, it would have looked a little bit more like this. So let's go to the second image. This would have been, uh, this is kind of a depiction of a, a model of the house. And so basically that top floor, what you see where the, you climb up the ladder and there's some individuals up there, the upstairs would have been the space for living quarters. That would have been where people would stay. But because there were many visitors in town, that space would have been used. And in that time, it wasn't typical for every single person to have a barn. And sometimes the house would have been built up to or built into the side of a wall or a place where there might have been a cave. And so there is uh, a possibility that part of the bottom part of the house could have been a cave. But typically what would have happened is much different than what we have today is the animals would have lived in the house or in the, the lower quarters with the rest of the family. And so Mary and Joseph, when they come to town, they say, hey, we're here. And the family says, oh, we were hoping that you weren't going to show up this year for Christmas. They say, we don't really have any guest rooms available. We already gave your old room to so-and-so. And so you guys are going to have to stay downstairs in the bottom part of the, bottom part of the house in the lower quarters with the animals. And so Mary and Joseph, they make do with, with the space that they have. They go to this place. And while they're in this place, they give birth. Mary gives birth. To Jesus. And instead of having a crib available or a nice bed to lay him in, they'd use just a lowly manger. They wrap him in cloth and they lie him in that manger. So despite what we see on the Christmas card, we recognize the surroundings that Jesus was born in were dark, they were dirty, they were filled with animals, it was crowded, it was loud, it was smelly, I'm sure. And in that case brings a familiar depiction of the commercialization of Christmas or the just get it right mentality. Because sometimes the smelliness, the crowdedness, the, all the other things that crowd in can steal our peace. But can I tell you, the fact of the matter is Jesus wasn't likely born on the, was likely born on the first floor of this home in the midst of all these animals, in the midst of all this crowdedness. But in the reality of the darkness, Jesus brought the peace. And the good thing about it is, let me just say this, he still does today. We don't just hollowly celebrate this celebration of Jesus coming to earth just because it's something that we do every year. We do so as a reminder of the coming of the Messiah. And so two implications. The first one is this. He is peace in the darkest situation. If we were to do a reflection time right now and you were to think about the darkest situation, the darkest thing that's happening in your life, perhaps it's a, an unlost or a lost, un, un, unsaved loved one. Perhaps it's, a, it's an issue that you're having in class or at, or at work. Perhaps right now it's, it's a financial thing. Whatever it might be, think about the darkest situation that you're in right now. Jesus can bring peace to that too. Jesus can bring peace in a way that is, that is unattainable, unimaginable within the context of the world. And then think about the symbolism here, the second implication, that is this. He is spiritual nourishment for the restless. I don't think that it's a mistake. I don't think that it was an accident that he was placed in the manger, this feeding trough. Because symbolically, many years later, he would prophesy and he would call us to do something that we engage even here today, every first Sunday of the month, which is called communion, where we take of his body and we take of his blood. 
And he brings to us spiritual nourishment symbolically and, and quite possibly as we embrace that together as, as, a, as a universal team here, as part of the universal church, we recognize the fact that he brings us even physical sustenance and strength as a result of embracing in Holy Communion. And so God is peace. Jesus is peace in the darkest situation. He is spiritual nourishment for the restless. And we shouldn't limit God specifically to the child. We shouldn't limit him specifically to this place. Instead, the first picture we see of Jesus in verse 7 is that he is a child, but we don't live there. We don't stay there. There's a lot more gospel written after that about when he, li- when he grew, when he lived, when he became a man, when he died, and when he rose from the dead, and when he ascended into heaven. Because the core of it is this, it's not just about Christmas, but it's also about what he did with Christmas. And the, and the call that he has for us is not just, hey, to underestimate him or leave him in the manger, but it's to let him grow in your life. Let him grow up in your life. So the heart of holy peace is an interesting one, and we read specifically about that. Hopefully you did well on your quiz. Anybody get 100%? Okay, I didn't either. Oh, okay, one person. Very humble. I appreciate that. <laughs> the reality is this. The heart of, the, of holy peace is one that we can find in, in, in only one person. The heart of holy peace is, is something that we can embrace and something that we can uh, engage in through the, through the, the power, the, the, the position, but also the presence of one individual. John's gospel in, in, uh, in, in the New Testament, John's gospel talks and describes the, the baby who becomes a man and in so doing expands upon the nature of his gift, this gift peace. Today I want to look specifically uh, to close this service at John chapter 16. The setting is one that's interesting. Jesus is with his disciples and he's talking to them about the things that they are going to embrace, the world that they are going to walk into and the way that the world is going to respond to them. And perhaps you've experienced this before as a believer. Maybe you've gone into a world that doesn't really, uh, it doesn't really love the message that you bring, doesn't love the joy that you engage And so Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's bringing forth some very real truths to them. He's saying, all I have told you, everything that I've said to you, so you would understand that you will be persecuted, that some of you will be martyred. You will lose your lives as a result of being followers of Jesus. And then he said probably the most difficult thing for them to hear of all, which is that he was going to leave them. He was going to physically leave them. And as the passage goes on, starting in verse 25, it reads specifically like this. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God, bringing peace. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. 
And part of me wants to say it's 16 verses into this gospel, or chapters in this gospel. You're just now believing that he came from God. But he responds with grace in verse 31. Do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming, and in fact, that, that co has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. And then he brings the only encouraging verse in the entire chapter in verse 33. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. I have told you these things so that you may have peace when the persecution comes. I've told you these things so that you could have peace when you, you, or, you or a friend or one of your brothers is, is crucified or is, is martyred. I, I tell you these things when you are scattered, when your home is destroyed. I tell you these things when you get a bad grade or when you have a, a disagreement with a family member. I tell you these things when things are not turning out the way that you'd hope they would this holiday season. I think it's pretty open-ended. He's telling us these things when we're in a place, when we're in a season, that we don't have peace. And he's saying you can have peace, not because of the things around you, but because of the presence of a holy God that is here because of the birth of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit. He didn't say that they wouldn't experience issues. He stated that they actually would experience issues. But in the midst of these issues, he would bring peace. And that final point on your outline, if you're following along, is this. Jesus Christ is the author. He's the one that brings it, and he's the source of authentic, holy peace. If you are looking elsewhere, you will be disappointed. But if you embrace him for real and lasting, holistic peace, he will bring you to a new day that you could never imagine. It's my sense that here today, as we kind of close in prayers, it's my sense here today that there are some that are struggling, maybe because you've never experienced peace in the means of salvation. Can I tell you, there's never a better time than the present for you to say, God, I don't know you, or I've been rejecting you, or I've been running for you, but today I open the door. I know you are knocking, and I'm not going to say there's no room left for you, and I'm not going to give you the lowest quarters. I'm going to give you the best. I'm going to give you all of myself. That's what he asked for. And in return, he gives you the greatest gift, the only thing that we can't attain on our own, which is eternal life. The God of all creation, in his wisdom and in his provision, wants to give you the gift of eternal life. At the same time, there might be some here today that are struggling with a lack of peace because of turmoil or the season that you're in. And I kind of try to put myself sometimes in the midst of a narrative within the context of Scripture. And I try to think about what it would be like if we were just sitting in that lower area, the lower quarters of that home, when everybody's making noise, the animals are there, they're hungry, their food trough just got taken away, but Jesus is laying right there in the manger, bringing peace in the midst of everything else that's going on. And my encouragement is this week, when inevitably something happens within the context of this season, and you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, there's so much going on. There's all these things going on around me. My, my, my encouragement is to think about the fact that Jesus, in his wisdom and in his love, brings peace. Because he's always present. 
And so as I pray, if today you want to choose the moment, that, that this to be the moment where you respond and you receive the gift that God has already given of salvation, I encourage you to pray. I encourage you to embrace him. I encourage you afterwards to speak to somebody, another friend, or, or you can come speak to me. Or perhaps today the challenge is simply just to think about the, the storms you're in, to give those to God and to allow his peace to reign supreme over all areas of your life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you in this moment thanking you for the fact that you chose to enter our world. Not like other religions where we attempt to try to find our way or, or, or earn our way towards the God that we serve or the God that we believe we serve, God, but instead with Christianity we recognize the price has already been paid. God, you have already come. You have already done what is necessary, the remedy, the ransom, God, for us, for our spirits, God, for us to be able to experience real and lasting eternal life. At the same time, God, you choose not just to say, okay, hold on until I get back, but you choose to inject into our lives or interject into our lives the reality that in the storms that we will, we will embrace, that you will bring peace. God, I pray that each one here today, no matter where we come from or what it looked like this week, what it looked like even this morning when we come into this place or when we join online, whatever means we do so as your body, we do so in reflection and understanding, God, that we can have peace in you. God, may we all make that journey to Bethlehem if it's necessary. May we kneel at the foot of your throne May we embrace the goodness of your gift. And may we be filled with your peace in this season and beyond. We thank you, God, for your gift, the gift of your son, Jesus. And it's in his precious and perfect and holy and provisional name that we pray here today. And all of us said together, amen. As you leave, remember this. John 16, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. That's the God we serve. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's the power, that's the God that lives within you. So go this week with God. Go with his power. He'll go with you. God bless you. You're sent out. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.